The School of Ministry and Leadership is the meeting from Potter's Family Chapel where we gather week after week to peer into the Word of God to understand whether or not it has anything to say to our leadership. And time after time, the Word proves that indeed it does. You see, in the beginning, God created man and woman, and He blessed them both and commanded them to have dominion over every created thing in the earth and to be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it. This is a call to leadership, for us to steward our God-given gifts and talents to cultivate the field he's called us to for his glory. We all have the seed of leadership in us, and God wants you to be equipped to lead because the world needs you right now. No matter who you are, it's my prayer that as you listen and as you begin to believe, you will see yourself growing as a leader. God bless you, and God bless your leadership. So we are still in our month of stretch, and I wanted to revisit some of the concepts that we've been looking at already when we think about what does it mean to stretch? And as I said to you all last week, I've been so blessed by this prophetic word. God has really been speaking to me about the multidimensional nature of what it means to stretch. And so I want to review some of the concepts that we've looked at. What does it mean to stretch? And then I'm going to introduce a, a fourth concept to us this evening. So the first thing that we looked at when we began thinking about stretching, what does it mean to stretch? is we looked at stretch as elasticity. And this is probably the most common thing that we think about when we think about stretching. We think about a rubber band or an elastic band. And the reason why an elastic band can stretch is because it has elasticity. You can pull on it in two different directions and you'll see that band move. It'll expand, it'll get longer. And so when we refer to ourselves as having this property of, of being elastic. We're speaking about flexibility, we're speaking about adaptility, adapt, adapt, adaptiveness, adaptability, there, my English. We're speaking about resilience. And so it's, it's the ability of being stretched in two opposing directions and being able to spring back or bounce back to the original shape. And then a few weeks ago, we introduced the second idea I was really, uh, taken by the earthquakes in Turkey and Syria. And I began to look at this idea, what does it mean to earthquake-proof a building? And from those teachings, we understood that even though buildings are by nature not elastic, they're concrete, they're iron rods, they don't bend, structural engineers have found a way to actually introduce a form of stretching to these structures. And we looked at three particular ways that engineers do this in order to make buildings earthquake proof. The first that we looked at was about setting the foundation and actually leaving space between the ground and the foundation of the building so that when the earth tremors come, that they actually just get caught in that air bubble. They don't they don't reverberate through the entirety of the structure. And that's one way that you can add stretch to a building. The second way that you add stretch to a building is actually 
the, the notion of, of pistons that you can put something like shock absorbers into the vertical structures of, of, a, of a structure of a building. And so that when the tremors come up and start to reverberate, that these pistons, that these air uh, um, shock absorbers will actually absorb the shock. They will dissipate the vibrations and they will reduce or dampen the amount of vibration that the building experiences. And then the third way was actually the way that is most used when it comes to skyscrapers, that there is something that structural engineers are able to do where they put in what amounts to a gigantic pendulum in the building. And so when the earth tremors begin and they begin to shake the building, as the building is swaying back and forth, it has this counter motion of the pendulum swinging back and forth. Again, it, the effect is to dampen the vibrations. And if you can dampen or slow down or hinder or minimize the vibrations, then you can actually reduce the cracking and you can re reduce the damage that actually causes these buildings to, to fall, to crumble, to be reduced to rubble when the earth around them begins to shake, when there's upheaval around. So the second idea of stretching was this idea of earthquake proofing your structure, that in the face of upheaval, when everything around you is coming down, this type of stretch that basically absorbs the tremors, absorbs the shaking, you might wobble in those situations, but you won't fall. And so destruction is averted by this type of stretching. The third concept that we introduced last week was this idea of stretch as stress process. So we were talking about stretching metals and that all metals have this property called ductility, meaning that metals can be stretched. When we look at metals in their cold or natural state, we wouldn't know it. But if we begin to apply some high stress, high temperatures, very strong degrees of hammering, then we can extend the metals, we can lengthen the metals, we can expand the metals. And all metals have what is called a yield point, where when they reach this point after the stress process, they will bend, they will not break. And what we noted that was so interesting, that was so telling about the stress process is that after this process, after the metals have gone through this heat, after the metals have gone through this hammering, you might expect that the metals would be compromised as a, as a result of this stress, that they would be weakened from the process. But in fact, we find that the metals are stronger, not weaker, after they've been through the stress process. And the final thing to note was that the most precious metals, gold and silver, are actually the metals that are able to be stretched the most, they're the most ductile metals. And so this tells us two things. It tells us that the stress process, this process that metals are taken through in order to stretch them, number one, it actually strengthens the metals, it doesn't weaken or compromise them. And number two, that the most valuable metals on the face of the earth are actually the ones that have the greatest capacity to stretch. So tonight I'm going to introduce a fourth concept of stretching, and we're going to look at stretch as rehabilitation. Stretch as rehabilitation. 
So for those of you who play sports or for those of you who have ever had an injury or for those of you who are simply aging, some of us fall into all three of those categories, you know what it is when your body grows stiff and when you need to stretch it. And what I realize is that as I stretch, you know, when you have to go to the physiotherapist, if, if, if any of you have, have ever had this experience, you know for yourself that when you begin stretching, that sometimes it hurts, that you don't have the range of motion that you need or that you used to have or that you know that you're supposed to have. And when you are stretching, it's actually a little uncomfortable. It's actually a little bit painful because the stiffness is opposing the ease of movement. But you also know, as you have stretched, that most times when you sit in that pain, when you sit in that tension, when you hold that position for a while, that it actually feels a little good, that it actually feels a little bit better. The longer you stay in the pain, the longer you stay in the discomfort, you can actually feel your tendons loosening. You can actually feel your muscles giving way, overcoming the stiffness. The range of movement that time or immobility or lack of use has hardened now gives way to the power of stretch. And then in your body, you feel release. And this release feels good. There's healing within the release. In other words, there's healing in the stretch. And that's what we're going to look at this evening. Mark chapter three, verses one to six. Another time Jesus went into the synagogue and a man with a withered hand was there. Some of them, speaking of the Pharisees and the scribes, some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the withered hand, stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their hardness of heart and said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and the hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on us one more time. Father, we thank you so much for the School of Ministry and Leadership. Father, we thank you that each and every week you give us the opportunity to come before you. Because who are we? What is man that thou art mindful of him and the son of man that thou visitest him? You've made us, Lord, a little lower than the angels and you've crowned us with glory and honor and given us dominion over your works. And so we come before you, Lord, this evening in humility and in obedience to understand how to steward this dominion. Holy Spirit, we thank you 
for what you are already doing, the work that you are already doing in each and every one of us. We thank you for the word that you have sent forth this evening. And Lord, I pray for each and every one of your people gathered here this evening. You know what they need. You know what they need to hear. You know what they need to overcome. And I pray, Lord, that there would be nothing that would hinder the power of your word this evening. We thank you for everything. In the mighty name of Jesus, we have prayed. Amen. So let's take a look at this passage. We have another riveting piece of text before us this evening. It's a text that is familiar to us. We know this story well. And because it's so familiar to us, it's, it's a story that's fairly common. What we know about Jesus's ministry at that time is, is that that's what Jesus would do. He would go around the country healing people. It's what he did. So there's nothing that should be terribly surprising to us in this text this evening. And yet there's so much that we're going to unpack tonight about the healing stretch. So we see Jesus, he's in the synagogue on the Sabbath, as was his custom. The congregation is there, the assembly is there. His disciples are with him and the Pharisees and the scribes are there too. So the first thing to notice is that not everyone around Jesus was a fan. The Pharisees and the scribes were in the vicinity of Jesus, but they weren't there to receive from him. The script tells us that they were looking for an opportunity to accuse him. And so be careful as you keep leading in God, because you'll find that you're surrounded by people and not all of them are for you. Remember last week when we spoke about the danger of the crowds, that one of the reasons why you want to push through into maturity is actually to get out of the crowd because the crowd can be a dangerous place that Satan often whispers in the crowd and that the crowd can very quickly be converted into a mob. So be discerning of crowds. And as a leader, you stand not only in the crowd, but you stand at the front of the crowd. And so you need to be conscious of the inherent dangers. But back to our text. So we see Jesus in the synagogue and he's there during the Sabbath. And we know, of course, that the Sabbath was a time that was structured by tradition. And so there were very solemn observances of what you do on the Sabbath. There was a very particular order about how you observe the Sabbath. And remember, weeks ago, but frequently, when we talk about systems. And I've told you before that systems are always constituted or made up of the agents and the structures that interact together to give off a particular behavior. That's what we refer to as a system. And when we're talking about social systems, the agents will be people, and the structures will often be the histories or the values or the traditions or the norms 
or the capacities or the procedures that inform how the people interact and behave with one another. So here we have a situation where we're looking at a system. We're looking at the system of Sabbath. We're looking at the structures that dictate the Sabbath and how the relationships with the people who are in the synagogue get organized or get ordered. So we've got Jesus, we've got the Pharisees, we've got the congregation. And we see in this system that Jesus is about to do a new thing to shift the system. So this scripture is about a healing that takes place within the system. And ultimately, that should have been a good thing. But we see that a problem arises because in this text, the act of healing appears different from God's perspective as opposed to man's perspective. And this is why God keeps telling us that his ways are not our ways. And so we see that here in this text, that to man, healing is a work. So as I started off just talking about our own bodies, when we've got pain in our bodies, either from injury or from lack of, lack of physical exercise, stiffness sets in. Sometimes we need to go to a physiotherapist. When you go to physiotherapy or when you go to rehabilitation and they start the healing work on you, often it hurts. Sometimes they'll make you lift weights. Sometimes they'll make you do resistance work or they'll make you pull on elastic bands. They're trying to strain you so that you can build the muscle back or so that the tendons and the ligaments can gain strength again. This is work. And so we see in this text that the Pharisees were against Jesus committing this act of healing on the Sabbath because they saw it as work. But from God's perspective, healing is not a work at all. He asks us, is there anything too hard for me? And so as Jesus is looking at this healing that he's about to do, he's not looking at it from the perspective of work. He's talking about a complete restoration because he came to reset creation back to its original state. And in this moment, Jesus is focused on the urgency of this deliverance. He's not so focused on the traditions of man. He's not so focused on how man has structured this system of the Sabbath. And in the chapter immediately before, there's this interaction between Jesus and the Pharisees again about the Sabbath. And there Jesus tells us that the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. It's not the other way around. Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. The Sabbath is not Lord of Jesus. The system of Sabbath, the way it's been ordered, the way it's been constructed, cannot tell Jesus what to do. We know that Jesus is our Sabbath, that Jesus is our rest from works. Hebrews chapter four. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful 
that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us, just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them, because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. Now, as we hear this scripture, we know that the writer of Hebrews is speaking about the Israelites when they were wandering in the wilderness for those 40 years. But as we hear it tonight, it sounds as though we're speaking of the Pharisees that day in the synagogue, that they had also heard the message, but the message had no value to them because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. And we're talking about this promise of entering the rest. We're talking about this promise of entering the Sabbath. Verse three continues, now to them, no, to we, now we who have believed enter that rest, just as God has said. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And yet his works have been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words. On the seventh day, God rested from all his works. And again, in the passage above, he says, they shall never enter my rest. Therefore, since it still remains for some of us to enter that rest, and since those who formerly had the good news proclaimed to them did not go in because of their disobedience, God again set a certain day, calling it today. So Jesus, in that moment in the synagogue, he was not worried about the day, the Sabbath day. He wasn't worried about the Saturday. He was worried about it being today. The verse continues, this he did when a long time later he spoke through David, as in the passage already quoted. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. So that's what Jesus was saying to the Pharisees. He says, today, if you hear my voice, you are hearing my voice because I'm standing right in front of you. I'm speaking to you. I am your Sabbath. Only don't harden your hearts. Only don't stick to your status quo. Stick to your traditions of man. Stick to the structures that you're so concerned with. And then the verse eight continues. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest. So enter God's rest, enter the rest that brings us to the end of our works so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. So this is an issue of obedience, the entering into the Sabbath. This is the point that I want to make, that Jesus had to heal on the Sabbath, precisely because the Sabbath is the time for us to rest from our burdens. And being withered is a work. Being withered is not a rest. The man who was there in the synagogue that day had a withered right hand. To be withered means to be dried out, shrunken, wrinkled, 
shriveled. It means to lose momentum, to lose will, or to lose desire. When we think of withered things, we often think of leaves, plants. We can see that when a tree has not been well watered and its leaves shrink, its leaves shrivel, they're totally dried out. We would say that they're withered. But withering doesn't only happen to trees. Withering happens to us also. So this man had a withered hand, but we know that withering happens to us spiritually. We can feel dry. We can feel far from God. We can feel as though our souls need to be watered. We can be withered emotionally. We feel lost, we have confusion. We're not stable, we're not happy. We can feel withered vocationally. We don't know what our calling is. We don't know what our purpose is. We don't know which way to go. We can be withered relationally. Our relationships aren't working. We wanna give up, we wanna quit. We wanna say enough is enough. We can be withered financially, we're broke. We don't have the money, the resources, the funds, the connections that we need. And of course we can be withered physically. The point is that it's tiring being withered. And so Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. I'll give you that Sabbath. I'll give you that rest from your withered state. So this passage is notable and it's often used to show us that Jesus had emotions, Jesus got angry. And so when we asked what would make Jesus angry, we saw that he was angered and deeply distressed at the hardness of heart of the Pharisees, at their stubbornness, at their inflexibility, at their opposition to stretching. The Pharisees were unwilling to stretch. They didn't want to change. They didn't want to progress. They were happy with their system. They had structured the system and they didn't want to change it for something better. And so be careful that in your leadership, you don't get unhelpfully stuck in old ways. Yes, it's good to look and learn from the past. It's important and it's necessary. But when God shows up in your system and tells you that it's time for change, you need to discern and you need to be ready for stretch. And what's so interesting also about this passage is that the Pharisees were not happy in the end when this man was finally healed. In fact, it tells us not in Mark's version, but in Luke's version, it tells us that they went out and they were filled with madness. The Greek word that gets used there was that they were filled with folly. They were filled with rage. I mean, they were blinded with rage. They couldn't believe that Jesus had come and had shifted their system. And they decided that they needed to find a way to kill this man. So someone's healing 
can send someone else into rage, fury, folly, foolishness, madness. So let's take a few moments to look at the man himself because he shows us a few things about the healing stretch. The first thing for us to notice is that the man had to stand up before everyone. Jesus speaks to him and he says, stand up in front of everyone. And this speaks to the tension of making the private public. The Bible doesn't tell us his name, but the Bible tells us what was wrong with him, that he had a withered hand, that this unnamed man had to stretch out his weakness, the thing that disabled him. He had to do that in front of everyone to see. And it may be that there's something withered about you. And in fact, I know that there is because all of us, when we come to meet Jesus, we all have something withered about us. Our time in the world has withered our souls. The effects of sin have withered us. And so this is why we need the Holy Spirit to do his perfecting work in us. It's when we come out of the world and into the kingdom that this healing begins. So what is your withered hand? Is your faith withered? You find it hard to pray. You find it hard to believe. Is your hope withered? That you're not as excited or, or as zealous or as persevering about that thing that you once were because you're not so sure anymore? Are your emotions withered? You're feeling numb or you're feeling ashamed or you're feeling angry or you're not sure what you're feeling. Are you withered relationally or financially? Whatever that withered hand is, there's something that you're hiding, some fear, some pain, but it's disabling. What's noteworthy about this passage is that the Bible is clear to tell us that it was the man's right hand. So the source of his power, his access to strength, his livelihood. If his right hand was withered, it likely affected his social standing. If he couldn't work, maybe he was having to be a beggar. Maybe he couldn't marry. It would have affected his social standing. But his, his power, his ability, his capacity, everything is signified in this withered right hand. Whatever the situation was that caused this man's withered state, Jesus calls him forward. And he calls him forward in front of everyone to confront it. 
And that's what Jesus will do. He'll call you forward in your withered state. And he'll say, I know that you're hiding this thing. I know that you've been able to pass it. I know that you've been able to get by with it for a long time. I know that you're able to function with it. I know that if people don't pay too close attention, you can get by and they won't even notice. But then he says, but today, today, if you don't harden your heart, I'm going to give you rest from having to carry this withered hand around, having to carry this withered thing around. And the scripture also tells us that he didn't call the man forward to do evil. He didn't call the man forward to embarrass him in front of everyone. He didn't call the man forward to shame him. Jesus's question is to the Pharisees, which is lawful to do? to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill. So Jesus's intention was not to do evil on this Sabbath. His intention was not to kill on this Sabbath. His intention was to do good, to save life. And by calling you out in front of everyone, his thoughts towards you are thoughts of peace, that he has a plan for you. God wants to give you hope and he wants to give you an expected end. And so he says, come forward so that I can deal with this. Yes, it has to be in front of everyone, but I will not shame you. Trust me and stretch forward. And so in the moment that Jesus calls the man to stand up in front of everyone, and tells the man to stretch out his hand. This unnamed man has a choice. He has a choice to make. This man could have pretended like he didn't hear. He could have kept back. He could have allowed the structures, the traditions, the stiffness of the Pharisees. He could have allowed that to outweigh the stretching because this man also grew in the same cultural understanding. So he also knew what the Sabbath was. And the choice that this man had to make, was he going to remain in the stiffness of what he's always known? Or was he going to stretch towards Jesus? And so the scripture teaches us that in order to get the healing, in order to get the rehabilitation, in order to get the restoration, in order to get the deliverance, you must stretch. You have to stretch past tradition. You have to stretch past the system. You have to stretch past the shame of whatever it is that you're hiding. And you have to stretch past what you've always been or what you've always been called. And here's something else about the scripture. It tells us that the man was already in the synagogue when Jesus arrived. The verse says, another time Jesus went into the synagogue and a man with a withered hand was there. So the man was there in the synagogue, in the assembly, before Jesus showed up. 
And there are people who will be sitting in church for years, content to be in the assembly, but they've never stretched before. And so this passage speaks to us of intent. Again, in the Luke version of it, Luke tells us that Jesus knew the thoughts of the Pharisees. He knew that their thoughts were evil. He, he knew that they were watching him, waiting to see what he was going to do because they were there not to observe, not to receive, but rather looking for an opportunity to accuse. And so this is why Jesus asks them the question that he does. But if Jesus knew the thoughts of the Pharisees, then could it be that Jesus also knew the thoughts of this man, this unnamed man with the withered hand? Did Jesus perhaps know that this man who had been in the synagogue, who had been in the congregation, that this man wanted a healing, that this man was ready to stretch, that if Jesus called him forward, he would obey. And sometimes we can be in church, we can be in church, we can be in church, and we wonder why Jesus isn't answering our prayers. But then the question is, if he called you out in front of everyone, would you obey? Would you be ready to stretch? What if out in front was the place where your healing was located? What if Jesus put it out in front so that you have to stretch for it? What if Jesus put your healing in your leadership, where you have to be out in front of the crowd. And as we keep saying in this month of stretch, everything that you want in life is precisely outside of your comfort zone. And you need to stretch out of your comfort zone in order to get it. Because if you stay in the prison of your comfort, you will die. And so when you stretch forth, you'll be called first. Remember the story of Zara and Farez, the twins in Tamar's womb, when Tamar was pregnant with Judah's children. The story tells us that one baby stretched out his hand first and the midwife caught him and wraps the scarlet thread around him and she proclaims that this one had stretched out first. But then in the delivery, in the birth, it was the other twin who came out first. And so they called him Ferret because they wondered, ah, but you, how could you just break out like that? And yet we don't know. Maybe Ferret was the one who was always in the front of the queue. But the other one, Zerah, reached out his hand first to be called. He stretched forth his hand. And because he did that, they called him by the name Zerah because Zerah means scarlet. So he wore that scarlet thread, and so he was named. 
meaning that if you stretch forth, it'll count. You'll be accounted for. You might not be the first in the queue. You might not be the number one, but if you stretch forth your hand, it will be counted. We think about the man at the pool of Bethesda who, because he didn't stretch forth, because he waited 38 years, he let those who were stretching forth beat him year after year until Jesus showed up at that pool. So you have to stretch out your hand so that you can be counted, so that you can be healed. The final thing that I want us to notice about this story is that the man, this unnamed man with a withered hand, the man is silent throughout the story. He doesn't say a word. And yet, he's still healed. He's not like blind Bartimaeus who was making all kinds of noise to get Jesus's attention. Even in the face of opposition, when they were telling him to be quiet, he made even more noise until Jesus came to him and, and healed him. And so this is an encouragement to us. And I want you to know that there might be times when you've been in your withered state for so long, that you simply just don't have any words left. But Jesus knows. And he's merciful to heal you anyway. That your lips might not be able to form the words, but your heart is silently praying and he hears it. And what I love about this story is that we see the sovereign Jesus. In this healing, Jesus doesn't touch the man. He doesn't spit on the man. He doesn't make a poultice and put it on the man's eyes. He doesn't take the man by the hand and lead him out of his hometown. He doesn't tell the man not to tell anybody. He doesn't command the spirit behind the withering out. Jesus simply says, stretch forth. Jesus was so angry at the hardness of heart, at the opposition of those Pharisees. All he needed was the man's obedience. All he needed was the man's trust, the man's faith. He invited the man to stand up in front of everyone. And he said, stretch. And the Bible tells us that by the time the man's hand was stretched out, it was already completely restored. Not that as he was stretching it out, the hand began to recover, that the flesh began to fill out, that the muscle began to grow. No, it tells us that he stretched out the hand and it was completely restored. It was fully restored. The sinews had come together. The flesh had covered the bone. God asks us, can these bones dance again? So what does all this have to do with your leadership? To sum up, 
The leader who follows Jesus, the leader who follows Jesus' instructions, needs to stretch in order to heal. Jesus told this man to stand up in front of everyone. And Jesus' call to you to lead comes even as he knows that there are parts of you that are withered, that you're not perfect, that you're not whole, that your soul has been weakened because of sin. And yet he asks you to stand out before others anyway. And so as a leader who follows Jesus, you must stretch. Number one, because you will be called out of the crowd. Remember that the crowd can be a dangerous place, that you want to stretch towards maturity to get out of the crowd before the crowd becomes a mob. So you stretch because you will be called out of the crowd. You will be called in front of the crowd. You must stretch number two because you will be opposed. The Pharisees and the scribes would have preferred that this man's healing take place at another time so as to keep their traditions intact, so as to keep their system intact. But your advancement demands that you stretch because it conflicts with the status quo. Because your blessing is going to disrupt the system. Your blessing is going to disrupt the way things have always been. And you're going to need to stretch past the past in order to have it. As a leader who follows Jesus, you must stretch because if you don't, you'll remain withered. When Jesus called the man forward, the man had a choice and he could have chosen not to go forward. He could have chosen to sit there. He could have chosen to say something, but he chose to stand up. Haven't you ever seen it in the prophetic service that sometimes the prophet of God will call people and they don't come forward for whatever reason, for fear or for shame or for lack of understanding? Simply put, it is easier to stay hidden. It's easier to hide the withering. But stretching implies movement. Stretching implies moving from here to there, moving from being hidden to being seen. And as a leader, you are going to be seen. You're going to be out in front. But as you stretch, you trust Jesus because you believe that he has a good plan for you. You believe that he's called you out in front to do you good, to save life, to give you hope and an expected end. You believe that he has a good plan for you. So I don't know who 
this word is for this evening. I know that it was partly for me. And I prayed to God that he would empower me to be able to share it the way that I received it in my spirit. And he said that there was enough of this word to share, that there was enough of this word to go around. And so I pray for you. I pray that you will have the courage to stand up before them and to stretch. I pray that you will trust Jesus as you stretch forward to be counted, as you stretch forward because his plan for you is to do you good, not evil. I pray for you that you will not let the time that you have been in your state hinder you or the opposition of those around you or the opposition of what has always been, the inertia of what has always been hinder you, that you will be able to stretch past that into the leadership that God is calling you to possess and into the dominion that he is calling you to hold. Father, we thank you for sending us this word this evening. Lord, we give you all the adoration and we thank you for being a God who would dare us to stretch forward. Father, we ask you to forgive us for all the times when we have been afraid to stretch, when we have disobeyed your call to stretch. And our petition this evening, Lord, is that you would empower us to stretch, that you would help us stir our faith to know that we are stretching past everything that limits us. And we are stretching into the destiny and the good plans that you have called us all to. In the mighty name of Jesus, we've prayed. Amen. <laughs>